Welcome back to Stephen Peace, another new episode with a really, really cool and interesting model named Pojo, who runs the viral account Models That Eat. And she delves deep with us into model diet culture and just the modeling industry and the ethics within it. Yes, really exciting episode. She has Models That Eat on many different platforms, so check them out. And we hope you like the episode. But first, let's start with some current events. The New York Times gender Instagram account posted earlier this week that one in six Gen Z members identifies as a part of being a part of the LGBTQ community, which I think is so interesting. Additionally, this week, Biden sent strikes in Syria, warning Iran to be careful. And this has sparked a lot of discourse about how things are sort of back to normal in the White House in the sense that even though he is a liberal president and a Democrat, he is still one to be held accountable. On the business side of things, beauty conglomerate Estee Lauder will increase its holding in Decium, which owns a lot of brands that have recently come to popularity, like The Ordinary. And the deal was valued at $2.2 billion, and Estee Lauder will fully acquire the rest of the company over the next three years. And our last current event is in regards to music, which I feel like we don't really talk about that much. But basically, the legendary group, Daft Punk is splitting up after 28 years and the news was confirmed by their publicist. The French duo basically released a video that was inaugurating their separation. All right, <laughs> let's get to the episode. All right, welcome back to Statement Piece. Yes, today we have with us Pojo. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself, your title, background, and especially the story behind your name? Hi everyone, my name's Phoebe, but everyone calls me Pojo. I'm a model based in New York, and I run a multi-platform models that eat. It's all about body image, food, and fashion. And um, yeah, the nickname, I gotta say, it started in middle school. People were just calling me Pojo because that was like a combo of my, my middle and last name. And then it stuck in high school. I scored the user on IG, which made it kind of official. <laughs> and here I am today. <laughs> Love that. So can you tell us a little bit about Models That Eat, how it got started, and how it's grown into this great multi-platform, I guess, what, what would you say, like a multi-platform brand concept? It's kind of tricky. I feel like it's somewhere between a community and a platform. Like, I feel like that kind of differs depending on how engaged you are. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm less engaged, therefore I just call it a platform. But no, I'm, it's definitely my passion project. So Models at Eat started when I was 16 is really when it started to blossom. I started a food account on Instagram which is now Models That Eat Today on Instagram. It was really just a place where I was posting meals I was having with friends between castings. I got signed modeling in New York at 13, which is super young. So I kind of grew up in this space. But yeah, I was realizing that these meals for me, which were just no brainers, like I had a very positive relationship with food and I would sneak it in whenever I could when I was going to shows or in fashion week or getting ready for work. And I slowly started to see how a lot of people around me weren't having the same relationship with food, which in retrospect, I, I was very naive at the time, you know, when it came to like other people and how they were approaching these situations. Like I had a couple people reach out to me in the midst of me posting just random meals or a bad ramen I tried to make or, you know, this pizza I downed with a friend. And people would DM me, a lot of models would DM me and say like, thank you for posting this. I decided to go into recovery or I started my own food account. And I actually had no idea that that was going on or people were interpreting my content that way. 
So that's where I started to see kind of like a pivot um, in my work. And I started doing interviews on YouTube that really changed uh, the platform and the way people approached it. Very raw and real conversations with people who otherwise would probably be afraid to speak out. So now today is kind of grown into uh, products too, but we're just kind of going with the flow and seeing what serves us and what people need. Yeah, that's awesome. So how did you get signed and get involved with modeling in the first place? It's actually a crazy story. I was 11, I was in seventh grade and my family friend was the art director at Glamour Magazine. So she worked at Condé Nast in New York. So I got offered to go to work with her for Take Your Child to Work Day because her daughter was sick from school. <laughs> and so, I, it's so crazy. I remember my mom dressed me to go because I literally just had no sense of style. And she's like, you're putting on a blouse. I'm like, what? A who? <laughs> oh, so I, I went with my family friend and there were a lot of activities for kids throughout the day. You got to go to different magazines and experience different things like go to GQ and like talk to these editors and you could do an art project and then go to Teen Vogue. So I'm in the cafeteria fitting, eating mac and cheese. And I got walk, walked up to by um, an editor at Teen Vogue and she was like, hi, are you a model? And at the time, I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like looking behind me like, sorry. Are you talking to me? <laughs> I had like bunk bangs. I had, I was a very like, I don't know, insecure young person in middle school. I think it was pretty typical, but I was like, no, I'm not. And she's like, oh, are you here with like a, you know, a family member or someone you know? She ended up connecting with my family friend and then getting in contact with my mom because they wanted to book me for a job, which was so abnormal and actually like never happens. I've never heard a scouting story like that in my life. So. <laughs> To this day, I'm still like, is that just a fever dream I had? Or is that actually what happened to me? Um, <laughs> so long story short, by the time I was 13, my parents were comfortable letting me get signed. So I signed to an agency, a small family-owned agency in the city. Um, and my first job booked was Teen Vogue. So I had a page spread in Teen Vogue when I was in eighth grade. And that's how I started. And from there, I was doing like all commercial work. I was doing Delia's, Quick Flex, because... Delia's was so, that was the age appropriate time to be doing anything Delia's related. And then I kind of coming back with the Pinterest Oh, for sure. Everyone on TikTok right now that's like an alt internet girl, like Mm -hmm. fully (laughs) has like a hundred catalogs under their bed. There's no doubt in my mind. It was weird. I remember going into Delia's when I was really young and my poster being up and and they'd have me sign the catalogs. Like that is so ridiculous, but (laughs) it definitely was like, they gassed me up young, you know, maybe help my self-esteem over time. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like a lot of things in entertainment happen that way. It becomes like your big break. Oh, yeah. I have so many friends that have like random one-off things like that. It's like, and then, and that's how I got my job here. Or that's how I got signed here. And I'm like, this is just like not a way we can, I can't give advice to anybody. They're like, how'd you get signed? And I'm like, go eat mac and cheese in a cafeteria and someone will find you. It's like, I don't know. You were talking about kind of like food and a lot of models relationship with food. So how do you think the modeling industry prevents that or kind of makes it worse or makes it better yeah food's such a complex thing regardless right I feel like it's always it's our common ground as humans but or as any living things but at the same time there's so so much stigma around it regardless of your preconceived notions of it or your experience with food and modeling is just another layer to those complicated relationships and Mm -hmm. I think the biggest flaw is that people can't relate to models because of social media and because of advertising. 
there's been like a major separation there between like the model diet and the, and I quote regular person's diet. It's, mm. it, it not only like separates the model from society, but it like, it alienates them in the industry, which kind of limits them to being a model, limit, like limits them to their bodies and externally. So I've, I've always kind of like dappled with that conversation since I started waking up to how complex food is in fashion. And, mm. you know, when I was younger, like 17 or 18. And I think one of my biggest takeaways was sub like the subconscious things that were fed in the industry that kind of result in these things and it's not to say there's like people to point fingers at because in my opinion everyone that works in fashion is influenced by these things and it affects it affects the fashion editor as much as it affects the model but the you know catalyst for the model is the fact that they're staring at their body all day and their agents telling them to lose an inch on their hips like I just feel like those things feed into that dynamic a little bit differently overall though it's it's the little things like little comments on set I remember when I was younger one of my agents um who for the most part I didn't have a lot of pressure coming from agents until I was like 17 or 16 and at that point I was so like comfortable in myself because of all the positive affirmation I got younger that I didn't think twice of it like someone telling me like what are you eating my mom always told me when I started modeling if they ask you what you're eating just say salad they love hearing salad (laughs) like seriously like advice from a past photo editor and I'm like oh thanks mom good idea and I would do that I would just say salad 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 they're like great 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 (laughs) (laughs) so I kind of you know I always played the game in that sense but I remember being younger I booked um a big like eight page fashion spread when I was like 14 for a bridal <laughs> for a bridal magazine <laughs> hold the child bride jokes because it's just not like I, my dad like couldn't let it go yeah um, it was chaos that in itself is also a pretty interesting thing to elaborate on because what that does to you like going through that but I had fun it was you know I'm thinking oh dresses whatever but anyways I booked this editorial and um my agent I remember I'm with my mom and we're like, we're really excited. We're going to go celebrate with gelato. And my agent's like, oh, fat free, I hope. And we're like, ah, oh my God. <laughs> and she's like, I'm serious. And we're like, oh, okay. Oh we're not. We're not. <laughs> Those things, obviously, like having an adult around me, like I had my mom working with me until um, I was a freshman in high school. And that really helped just having someone there who like understands the industry. And when I had like test shoots with like provocative photographers, like having a mom like lurking in the back kind of helps like keeping you, you know, in a safe space. So yeah, overall, all the little things add up. And I think more than anything, it's just being sensitive to people and not feeding into that. Or if like we have preconceived notions around food that make us want to like project that, especially in a work environment where the person you're talking to, their bodies, their like brand maybe like learning how to create boundaries there is important, especially for models. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you think models that eat have helped provide a platform for models who may be experiencing that or even people who may not be in the modeling industry? I've always kind of dappled with like what it looks like as a community. And what I realized was as much as positive feedback that I get from the content I create, whether it's videos or just an Instagram post or a photo I took, I get amazing feedback and people will DM me and stuff. A lot of it's private responses, but I've also learned that a lot of the people that are the most positively affected by my content don't say anything at all because of how taboo it is to talk about to begin with like I know for me like when I watch YouTube videos of people talking about subjects that usually we all look up a little taboo subject on YouTube to get some perspective and I would never comment on videos like that even though those are the ones I probably remember the most I love the feedback that I get publicly especially when it's 
people that are finally seeing a model they followed for a long time talk about food. Like to me, that's kind of where I get the most excited other than like, you know, models relating because for me, I really do this for models first because I know how many people have reached out to me saying like they were so scared to like say these things or feel these things and they feel seen like that means a lot but also seeing people that are like wow it's super refreshing to see this person I follow with a hundred thousand followers or whatever actually talking about this freely like that is a game changer for me and I just wish everybody felt comfortable enough talking about it because the feedback is always so positive I think I got one hate one hate comment in my YouTube career and someone wrote this is dumb I was like oh (laughs) the horror (laughs) it's dumb that's so interesting it kind of reminds me of um do you know the TikToker Sienna Mae Gomez love okay I've been doing a lot of research on like the body posi community on TikTok I just love her content too because she is so being herself and doesn't make it like doesn't make it this preachy conversation she's just naturally doing it and people are naturally gravitating towards her content and I think that's almost the best approach because it's just like keep making it normal you know yeah for sure I think I've seen a lot of troll comments kind of about how people started commenting being like Sienna I ate today um and then people would just troll it and be like Sienna I went to the bathroom today and all this stuff but then she made a response video saying this is actually a safe like it should be a safe space people feel afraid to speak up about these kind of things Mm -hmm. um and she just always makes those videos of her eating and stuff like that so yeah just it reminded me of that about what you were saying where people tend to be afraid to comment because I think it's kind of trolls like that, that make people especially afraid to comment. It's just not a widely understood topic. Exactly. And I wish there was more education around it because a lot of those people that are commenting probably have dabbled or struggled with an eating disorder themselves and not even known. And because of things like that, especially like, you know, there's different people obviously commenting from different like niches on TikTok. I think that's just like the, (laughs) just thanks to the algorithm, how things go. But Mm -hmm. Regardless, like her making that space and normalizing, like even just like liking the comment for somebody could like literally change the way they approach food. And I think there's power in that. And I wish more big TikTokers were actually comfortable talking about food, even if you have a positive relationship with food. Like I always felt this level of like imposter syndrome around my work because I thought that because I didn't go through debilitating, like deep anorexic tendencies at one point in my career and I haven't had these traumatic experiences like I couldn't help other people talk about it mm-hmm. and I really had to at the end of the day realize it's like it doesn't matter who you are if you're talking about food positively or you're embracing the conversation you will help people you'll never know but you will help people because that's it's just not normal in our society when you look up like recipes like on google the first thing you're gonna see is like keto like diet like lose 10 pounds in two days like things that are just have been ingrained in us especially as like women you know, it's, it's, you're taught that like, that's kind of like the norm. And I just wish more people were just like, I had the bomb sandwich at blah, blah, blah. Like, go get it. <laughs> like, I'd rather someone tell me to go get like a Big Mac than to tell me how to like drink lemon water in the morning and then fast till noon. Like that to me, that's just like, that's almost more productive regardless of, mm. you know, the context. It is interesting because especially as women, I feel like 
that's an issue that almost every woman goes through. Like there's always just this, even if it may not be classified as a disorder or something, there is a little more conscious thinking that goes Mm -hmm. into what goes into our bodies because there is so much focus on our bodies. And I feel like obviously there's a huge cultural component to that. But why do you think it's still, like I feel like there are a lot of topics that have been taboo in the past that have kind of come to, uh, I guess like more awareness and people have become more willing to discuss them. Why do you think eating and food and I guess it's a question for both of you are still somewhat taboo I think honestly deep down at least in fashion a lot of the reason people don't talk about food is because of the pressure to not eat on the inside like having agents and people breathing down your neck which this is real like I'm not just saying this for shock value there are literally girls out there and guys male models whoever there are models out there worrying about if their agent's gonna see them post a bowl of pasta on their story and then tell them they should be cutting carbs seriously like a thing people go through not everybody but it's a real thing and i wish you know to start there needs to be more responsibility at agencies at these places of influence to stop conversations like that or approach them sensitively or i don't know have a nutritionist in house like to me that's always been the biggest thing i just can't believe that these agencies that make this much money per year don't have an in-house nutritionist or health coach Mm. pero for what like (laughs) what how i don't understand like those are the things that i see so much room for reform in the space i think if those conversations change in the industry we'd see a huge difference in media and we'd see a huge difference with the models and i think we'd see more models talking when i do videos with people i'm always sensitive to the idea of people wanting to edit parts out and it's never like i want to edit six minutes out here because i don't like the conversation it's always can you cut that 10 second part where I said this if my agent saw it like the number of times I've had someone say if my agent saw this dot 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 when they're editing a video it just shows that a lot of people are still have that fear and I don't think that they're wrong to be afraid of it because I understand when your job is dependent on it and you're keeping up like relationships with people because your work depends on it it changes the way you approach media I hope out of industry people just start learning more about food and enjoying being in the kitchen and embracing it on their own and they'll naturally want to talk about it more once it's being kind of given more of a space in their life. Yeah. Right. Or we've kind of pondered on the idea of agencies in the modeling space, especially during quarantine when I was doing modeling gigs. I thought a lot about unionization and the fact that a lot of actors, they have SAG and such, um, but modeling is so deeply unregulated. And I don't understand too. <laughs> this On this episode of Phoebe Doesn't Understand, I, it truly <laughs> feels like there's so many layers to how models have been pushed in this corner in like an alienating way. Like, okay, there's no regulation. Meanwhile, SAG is out here fighting for people's money if they're not even a part mm. of the union. Like mm-hmm. I had my first SAG regulated job in July last year. And I, I'm not a part of SAG. It was a non-union job, but they still somehow got us more money because they were like, this isn't right. And I'm like, somebody's over there fighting for me when I've never had anyone fight for my rates in modeling like like they do for a small cut. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah I, the acting space is we, tricky because people still do free work, right? And they'll do it for exposure or the opportunity to potentially have that work take off. Yeah. You know, in fashion, people play the same game 
and don't get paid for any of it. And then it gets submitted to magazines and then it gets published and they monetize off of it indirectly. Like there's just so many layers and it's true. We should have unionized like in the beginning, I think just because modeling has been pushed aside and people don't identify with models so much, it has plays a huge part in it. Meanwhile, acting is consumed on a basis where it's like you're watching a movie, like you assume they're getting paid for their time. It's weird. It's almost like we've glamorized um, free work in modeling mm-hmm. as well. And because it adds to your book and it creates this idea of you and you've worn a post on social media, like that I'm at this point in my career where, you know, I obviously love doing creative projects and I don't expect everything to be about money, but there has to be like some sort of buffer between like, yeah. I'm wasting my time and this is exploitive. And I actually really am excited to get on set with these people. So why do yeah. you think it hasn't been unionized? It's just another layer of fashion that doesn't have protection. I just, think it's not really understood enough I do I don't think there's enough like legal action that goes forward for models and people in situations no it's interesting because I feel like this podcast has really showed me how exploitive (laughs) yeah the fashion industry is as a whole like we've talked about labor standards in the sense of fast fashion and fashion houses and just stuff like that and then obviously we're talking about models now I was listening to this podcast from COVID tour with Coco Rocha and she does kind of like a model boot camp and I'd mentioned this to Catherine before but basically they spend it's almost like a summer camp for models and they spend a day just uh teaching young girls how to read through contracts and how to know what to look for and how to know to speak for themselves because I think one thing that I feel like a lot of people don't realize is working at such a young age is also a whole nother added factor so in your experience how did I guess you had your mom there which is wonderful but were you exposed to other models who were Uh, kind of working at a young age who maybe didn't know what they were getting themselves into. Yeah, I think it's, I also love the parallel with um, like garment makers and stuff because it's true, like people in the fast fashion realm are dealing with similar things. Like obviously in different countries, we have very little control over what happens, but we do have control if we bring business there and if we agree with like the um, conditions for workers there. So I've always seen like a parallel there too. Like there's so many sides of fashion that is exploitive, that being one of the like the darkest and I don't think many of us will ever really see the extent of it which is awful Mm -hmm. but yeah in regards to working young and how that shifts things as well like I definitely got lucky early in my career especially with agents I think also when I started working it was right when Instagram started like when the app actually started so I there wasn't a lot of social media aspect to my work when I started it was definitely like a different space I was used to different I was used to different working conditions like also having a mom there really helped but when I was a freshman in high school my mom got really sick she's fine now but um my family couldn't be there anymore and I had I'd have people fly with me places when I had like jobs out of the state and stuff but I was actually working alone all of high school. In high school too, I felt like it was more appropriate. My parents really trusted me and they had taught me like how to navigate the space. So I'm really, I'm actually like genuinely lucky that nothing awful happened to me because the rate that I was working, I'd be missing like multiple days of school a week. I was out all the time doing stuff. When it comes to exploitation though, I think a lot of the things that are the most sneaky are on set stylists, people trying to get you to dress things you don't want, you don't feel comfortable wearing. Mm. I've always been taught especially by my first agent who I will always love for doing this. She always taught me if somebody tries to put you in something you don't like, say, okay, it's no problem. 
probably, I'm just going to call my agent and ask if I can wear this. Cause when I was younger, I'd be uncomfortable saying no, like people are going to make you feel like that's a bitchy move. But the only reason it's bitchy is because it's the model taking control of the situation, which in that case is actually really important because photos don't go away. And I have a lot of great friends that I met growing up. Like I'm so lucky. I met one like Camille, one of my best friends. I met Camille when I was 13, when we went to an agency dinner together. I met a lot of my good friends on the same like development board when I was really young and we're still friends to this day but each of them had different experiences mine was definitely one of the most simple living in Jersey like the idea of flying back and forth for this career that could potentially result in nothing or not result in any money and just be debt like there was a lot of dedication that was put into it and I just see like it really has to be what you want it to be and I don't think a lot of young people thrive in this space people will try to get whatever they want out of you I've met some of the I've met some of the scummiest photographers on the planet and it doesn't matter if they're like a guy or a woman like you really just can't trust anyone for that matter and people need to prove themselves to you on set by making you comfortable is what I've learned like it's a clean like we're at stage one like we're at literally zero percent until somebody shows me that they're actually like an ethical and respectful person on set so I really right. liked working with commercial clients there's so much at stake for big brands mm-hmm. <laughs> I should be saying they just care so much you know but there's so much they have to worry about yeah, yeah, liability. And there's been a lack of liability in high fashion. There's so much that people don't hear about and don't know about because it's just the lifestyle, right? Like people are made to feel like if you walk a high fashion show, like you're the it person and like anything that happens to you, you kind of like subconsciously suppress regardless because of like the status of working jobs like that. And <laughs> when you're you're actually in power, they will try to yeah. make you feel like you're not. But the truth is like they depend on you putting the clothes on. Like there is no, there's nothing without you, you know, getting in wardrobe. So definitely uh learn that the hard way but it's crazy because yeah. I feel like every week or every couple weeks or something I'm always DMing Catherine something on Insta where it's like some news about some designer or some photographer and everyone's coming forward and it always surprises me like one how many people is affected and that it had to get to that point where it was like this magnitude of voices saying something for it to come to light but then also how many times it happens like it's it's insane. Like the fact that there's something every single week. I was just gonna say, um, Sita sent me a piece about Livin Cool, the photographer. Oh my god, I've he heard has, this. Yeah, he has like such a big brand. Like he has merch and stuff. I feel like there's so few photographers that have merch. Those are really scary because it also just shows that like, yeah, people are just scared to come out and talk about it, which of course they are. Like things like that get so much backlash and it's awful. I just wish people mm-hmm. would realize that like victim blaming and not believing people when they talk about conversations. Like, like this like one well, if you don't believe them it's like wh- what are you wh- I, I, to me it's crazy with photographers because there's literally physical proof that they shot with these people and the things they're saying like there's proof in front of you there's images from this yeah, and yeah. a lot of them are publicized like you know across the board like I know there's a lot of high fashion models that have talked out about photo books coming out and not being like not consenting to their photos being in photo books that are now like bestseller coffee table books Mm -hmm. like that's a huge issue um I don't know if you guys read Emily Ratajkowski's like amazing article for cut that was Mm -hmm one of the I think one of the most moving pieces yeah. that seriously changed the way people approach fashion and sadly approached her like people didn't look at her and see somebody that had a voice like people really looked at her as her brand as a model which is totally fine but and that's what she makes money off of and that's her business but it's sad that it took her having to write an expose on all the ways people mess with her 
for people to respect her. I know um, going back to the whole like property of images and everything, it's so fascinating to me that an image of yourself is not your own property. And I remember seeing this by an influencer, like a European influencer, and she was saying basically there was a street style photo of her. And then Mango, like the fast fashion company, basically took that photo and put it on t-shirts and obviously they were profiting off of it. Yeah. She, she didn't even know about it. It was uh, like her following who had DM'd her about it. That to me, like there needs to be lawyers involved. And it's crazy because it gets taken to court a lot of the times and nothing happens. <laughs> it's that's the thing. I feel like there's such a lack of regulation and it reminds me when like when fire festival when that whole thing happened and then it i forget what the actual government organization is called but that changed i feel like social media so much by then having influencers and people with the platform having to show when something was an ad but it took something like fire festival to happen with masses of people that's so publicized and became like a world phenomenon in a bad way (laughs) yeah that was the most that in itself was just the most insane and what year was that was that 20 that was that 2019 i think 2018 like that was coming like i was in college then and that was coming up in like my classes like my professors were bringing these things up because that's how widely known it was and how much of an issue it was yeah and they manipulated the influencer realm so well (laughs) to actually get people to talk about it because it was in everybody's face like it does show how like you are so detached from your work in a way unless of course you liberate yourself enough to like make conscious decisions around it and that in itself is a hard thing to say i don't expect everybody to have full like yes no power to their jobs because in truth like people it's their job like a lot of people that's their full-time work i respect models that practice self-care throughout that because you know you just whatever you do and what you shoot in like you obviously do have to take responsibility for the clothes you're in and the brands you're wearing so there does need to be a level of monitoring that but at the end of the day too it's also a job so it, it's creating like a healthy balance in work which is hard to do when obviously your face is being blasted all over advertisements for something that you have no control over how much money is put into the backing of those ads like sometimes you get paid for a job and then they end up pumping millions of dollars into distributing that work and you probably only got paid like a thousand dollars or less so it just shows too like there's just always like i said you're always at the lower hand but like liberating yourself through making those decisions is super important so in your experience in your career so far have you seen topics like these change in the modeling industry? Do you think it's getting better? I think it is. I'm really hopeful. I feel like I'm so excited about how many models are talking about it now. And I'm meeting new models all the time, especially on social media, because of the conversations they're starting around food and body image. I met a girl this week on Instagram who started like a movement around like putting down the tape measure and not letting people control you and like what your measurements are. And I thought that was so cool. And like those conversations are starting to happen more and more across the board there's we do see people that are like wellness advocates slash models like making content and to me that's like one of the biggest wins i think social media is changing that i think tiktok too people like sienna and people that are following her lead i'm definitely hopeful i see a lot of progress and i think like the younger generations are making that even better so where do you see models that eat going so i'm really excited because the first thing i'm getting started on this year is turning models that eat into a podcast so people can enjoy it on different platforms we're still going to be on uh, youtube as well but that's one of my most exciting things because what i love more than anything is just having like long form combos like this where i can just 
just put it out there. And I think it's really beautiful having just free conversations with food and drinks. Like I just want to like be in the room with my friends and and do that again. So post COVID, we'll see that kind of um, come up more. But yeah, other than that, I really want to get more into like cookware. I think that's awesome. I want people to have like a cool models that eat fork and they'll be excited to eat with and like that could connect people too. I don't know. I see like little things like that excite me, but I also love in-person events. One of my favorite things we did with Models at Eat was collab with Kaoru Mitsui. She's an artist um, based out of Japan and we hosted a gallery with her in Tokyo in 2019. And that was the best experience of my life, like meeting people in a completely different country who connected to this work and connected to the message. That to me means a lot. So I'm really hoping to bring more events and partnerships soon so we could bring people more food and more fun stuff and all that. I also miss my friends. So I want to see people and eat. Yeah, I was telling Sita the merch is so cool. I would definitely wear it. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I mean so much. We're getting on sweatshirts now. That's going to be a fun one because I want to like, I want to like sneak foods like in different parts of the sweatshirt. Like I want you to like look in the hood and there's like an orange and then like flip it open and it's like, what is that? It's a cookie. Like it's just like, I want to do like really weird stuff. I'm excited. I like, I love that I could also bring people little things like that that have intention. More than anything, I just hope whatever I create from now on just has real intention to help people. So one question that we like to ask all of our guests is what is your favorite statement piece? Ooh, (laughs) this is good. This is good. My favorite statement, I, okay, I'm going to go literal with fashion. My favorite statement piece is this jacket I bought when I was 14. I started 14, 15. I interned at V files for a summer and oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I, I loved it there. I love the stylist. Their whole team's so great. And um, I was shopping there for a while before. And pretty much the reason I got the internship was because I bought this crazy Ashish jacket. If anyone knows the brand Ashish, they're this bedazzled, um, this UK designer. Everything's bedazzled. Everything's ridiculous. I have a huge varsity jacket, gold sequins all on the sleeves. And then in like pearl and bedazzled lettering it says fu and the back says fu with a big two on it <laughs> i remember bringing that home my parents lost it and i was like i can't hear you over my shoes jacket right now i literally thought i was beyonce <laughs> and um that is my favorite statement piece yeah i love that it's the best i, I honestly recommend looking up all the old ashish stuff like the, just look up a shish varsity jacket it was on my mood board i swear i manifested this jacket and <laughs> I oh, will always love it. I think my other statement piece, my other favorite would be standing up for yourself in the industry. That's a statement piece and it's bold and people, if you're, you know, confident, people will respect you more. No, but thank you guys so much for having me on. Like, this has been so fun. And yeah, thank you. Good to see you guys. Well, that was a wonderful conversation. I love that Pojo is so sincere and I also just love her name and her general vibe. <laughs> I want to be friends. <laughs> Yes, I feel like for anyone who is just listening in, she is one of the nicest people that we've met. We all instantly clicked and I can't wait to see her brand grow even further and what the future will entail for it. And she has a podcast that is coming out so you guys can listen to her there soon enough. All All right. right. (laughs) That's all for now, folks. Uh, Hey. (laughs) 